breakfast next week. And so I want to finish this today, and this, last, this last verse, verse 4, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And I want to see that Jesus tagged that phrase with, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The evil one is a reference to Satan. Because Jesus, as he viewed the world, he saw the world as two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. So deliver us from the kingdom of Satan. Deliver us from the evil one. Two weeks ago we learned that to receive forgiveness of sins from Almighty God, a holy and righteous God, God requires two things, repentance of sin and atonement for sin. And we spent one whole message about what God requires for forgiveness of sin. Repentance of sin, but also payment for sin. And we learned that Jesus made that final payment for sin for the sins of everyone in the world once and for all so it never has to be made again. And that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot atone for your sins by doing good works. By prayers or acts of charity, those will not atone for your sins. The only way our sins could be atoned for was by God himself providing the atonement through his son, Jesus Christ, dying for us upon the cross. Last week we learned that Jesus taught his disciples to continue to repent of their sins and to ask forgiveness of sin. And we looked at one reason last week. The reason he told them to continue to repent of their sins and ask forgiveness of sin, it didn't have anything to do with atonement he knew he was going to atone for their sins is that he wanted his disciples relationship with the father to grow in mutual trust uh, and when you sin against someone you break trust and they may forgive you but you still have broken trust and the first step if you want to make things right and begin to rebuild trust is to go to them and acknowledge that you were Wrong, And we learned that in this particular aspect of asking for forgiveness, we tend to focus upon our trusting God. And we don't focus much in the church about God trusting us. And it's a trust relationship between us and God. And so we saw the importance of us as disciples continuing to repent of our sins and ask for forgiveness, not for atonement's sake, but in order to grow in this relationship of mutual trust with the Father. And today I want us to learn that Jesus taught his disciples to continue to repent of their sins and ask for forgiveness of sin because he wanted his disciples to avoid giving Satan an opportunity to oppress them. In verse 4 of Luke 11, it's at the the thing that Jesus tagged on to that part of the verse where he said, and forgive us our sins, he tagged on to that, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and then he tagged on to it, and do not lead us into temptation or trial, but deliver us from the evil one. This word temptation is a word that means to put to the proof, or to test, or to try, and it can be by an experience of good. We can have something good happen to us in our life, and it can actually be a temptation because we could become proud 
over something good that's happened to us. Or this temptation or trial that happens could be an experience of evil. And it can be a difficulty. It can be an adversity that we experience through some tragedy or sorrow or grief that we go through in our life. And here's the truth about temptations and trials. We live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world where all men and women are sinful and sinners, temptation and trial is unavoidable. The Bible says even nature itself is broken by sin. And so we have all kinds of tragedies that happen as a result of natural occurrences that we cannot avoid. And those those occurrences, those experiences, because we live in a fallen world, they are trials to us. Now, for those who are disciples of Jesus Christ, God's purpose for all trial is to purify us. To purify us. Another way of saying purify us is to help us grow up spiritually, to help us mature spiritually. And what God is wanting us to grow up in in the church of Jesus Christ is he wants us to grow in faith and he wants us to grow in love. And so God uses the trials that we go through, uh, the storms of life that we go through, to help us mature and grow in faith and love. And this is why James, uh, who was the uh, leader of the church in, in Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus, he said this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. He didn't say be happy about the trials you go through. The trials that you go through in life as a result of the tragedies you experience can be very painful emotionally. They can create all kinds of grief. But he said, consider it all joy. And that joy is an inward satisfaction or fulfillment that comes by trusting God. Has nothing to do with happiness in our lives. And so happiness is based upon the happenings in our lives. And it comes and it goes based upon whether those good happens, happenings are enjoyable or they're not enjoyable. But joy is something that comes from faith in God, in trusting him and his purposes in the midst of trial. And so he said, count it all joy. But also, as disciples of Jesus... If we in our relationship with the Father are unrepentant of our sins, in other words, there's something that we know is wrong and we continue in it intentionally and deliberately. So we are intentionally being unrepentant. Instead of turning from whatever sin it is that God has convicted us of, we're holding on to it. We're not letting it go then what Jesus was teaching his disciples was, if you are unrepentant of your sin, your heavenly Father will allow you to be tempted and tried by the evil one instead of being delivered. Now that sounds rather harsh, that the heavenly Father would do that to his children, but it's really not harsh at all because in the midst of the trial, God provides grace always. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's just using uh, his own means in order to get us to turn from whatever it is that's so destructive to us in our lives. 
And so it's an act of love. It's an act of discipline on the part of the father. Now, this particular truth that if we continue unrepentant in our sins, that the Lord will allow Satan to try us, uh, is found throughout the entire Bible. We can go back to a king of Israel named King Saul. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, 14, because of his unrepentance in his life, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. A distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. The same thing happened to another king by the name of Ahab. It happened to another king by the name of Abimelech. And uh, in fact, it happened to the entire nation of Israel when they were unrepentant as a nation and they would not follow the laws of God that he had given that particular nation to follow as his chosen people, then what would he do? Well, he would allow them to be tried by their enemies. In 1 Chronicles 5.26, it says, So the God of Israel stirred up the, the spirit of the king of Assyria. That is, his name was Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. And so notice it says, so the God of Israel stirred up the enemy of Israel. And he carried the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh into captivity. And he took them into Haler, Habor, Hara, and the river of Gosen to this day. In other words, they were dispersed from their own land, which God said, that's what's going to happen to you if you do not live under my authority. You're going to be dispersed from the land that I gave you in the land of Israel. So God not only did this to individuals in the Old Testament, but he actually did this to the entire nation of Israel when they were unrepentant as a nation. During the ministry of Jesus, Jesus dealt with Jews, including his own disciples, that believed that if you were suffering in some way, you must be an unrepentant sinner. In other words, this was ingrained to them. And they connected all suffering with being unrepentant. Well, Jesus taught his disciples that's not true. We live in a fallen world, and as a result of living in a fallen world, we're going to experience suffering in this world. So it's not true that if you're suffering, that uh, it's always caused by the fact that you're unrepentant. But Jesus did teach his disciples that if they were unrepentant of their sins, their heavenly Father would allow them to be tempted or tried by Satan. Paul understood this truth, and, and so he taught the church in 1 Corinthians 5. He said this, For indeed, as absent in the body but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. Now the deed that was done by a professing believer in the church is that he had an inappropriate sexual relationship with his father's wife. And it doesn't give any other clarity on that. We just we think it's not incestual. We think it was his stepmother that he had this inappropriate relationship with. And the church at Corinth was not confronting him about it and calling him to account for his wrong behavior, his, moral, his uh, immoral conduct. And so, but Paul said to them, look, I've already... Uh, I'm not there, I'm only present in the spirit, but I've already judged this fellow who's guilty of this thing. And he said, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one, this is a church member, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. In other words, by what damage would be done to him physically, perhaps he will come to repentance of his sin by being humbled by this circumstance in his life. And so Paul actually admonished the church to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul warned the church on more than one occasion about how if they're unrepentant of sin, it can give the devil an opportunity in their lives. In Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And then he said, Nor give place to the devil. It was a warning. A warning. The same warning that Jesus was speaking about in Luke 11.4. 11, 11, James again the leader of the church in Jerusalem warned the church about this in James 3, verses 14 and 15. He said this, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and so lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly and sensual. And then he goes on to say, and demonic. And demonic. The way they're picturing, the way that the apostles and Jesus pictured unrepentant sin in the life of someone who's professed faith in Christ, unconfessed sin is an invitation. And it's an invitation you don't want to extend. It's an invitation to the devil. It's an invitation to Satan. It's an invitation to the dark side, however you might phrase it, to oppress me. You don't want to extend that invitation by living in unrepentance. And that's what Jesus was teaching his disciples as another important reason for them to repent, avoid being oppressed by this enemy that you're seeking to overcome, the ruler of this world. And the way that you do that is stay repentant. You know, if you've committed a sin that you know is a sin, don't resist the Holy Spirit. When he convicts you, turn from it. Turn from it. And if you need help in turning from it, get help. That's what the church is here for, is to assist. We're here to assist one another when it comes to walking out the Christian life in faith and love. So unconfessed sin is an invitation to the devil to oppress us. It's like leaving your doors unlocked when you live in a neighborhood where there's thieves. I would not recommend that. It's like handing a loaded weapon to someone that you know hates you. I would not recommend that. It's like giving your personal information to a scammer. I would not recommend that. If Christ lives in you, the Bible teaches that we cannot be possessed by the devil as those who are followers of Christ. But you can be oppressed. The word oppressed means to exercise power over or influence over. When, you're unrepentant of our, when we are unrepentant of our sins as disciples, then we can be oppressed by the devil. The word oppressed, like I said, means to exercise power over another. And this can lead, for those of us who are in Christ, back into bondage to sin and back into bondage to Satan. Satan can torment, torment us mentally and emotionally. So, in order to avoid this, Jesus was telling his disciples, you need to avoid this. Okay? Forgive. Forgive. Seek forgiveness, but also forgive others. And, and then, and do not lead us into temptation. 
but deliver us from the evil one. He taught his disciples to pray in this way. Now, there are two sins of the heart that Jesus talked about and the apostles warned the church about that we all need to take very seriously. We already read the passage in James 3, verses 14 and 15, but here it is again. And in this passage, we can see these two sins of the heart that can really get a hold of us if we let them. And they are sins of the heart that we need to walk in repentance with regards to these particular sins. They're the sins of pride and bitterness. Pride and bitterness. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, which is pride, in your hearts, do not, do not, it says, boast and lie against the truth. That kind of lifestyle, that kind of wisdom doesn't come from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. Pride and bitterness, these two sins of the heart. Now, these two sins of the heart, pride and bitterness, they always work together. They always work together. They're like two sides of the same coin. You find one, you find the other. You find pride, you find bitterness. You find bitterness, you find pride. Now, what is pride? Well, pride is an attitude. It's an attitude of the mind is what pride is. It's an attitude of the mind in which someone has an overinflated view of themselves. They have an overinflated view of what they deserve or we have an overinflated view of our importance to others. That's what pride is. And if we have pride in our hearts, if we have this overinflated attitude about ourselves, then what causes, it causes us to envy others. It causes us to be self-seeking. It causes us to be greedy. It causes us to boast. It causes us to be arrogant. By the way, pride was the sin that caused Satan to rebel against God. He had an overinflated view of himself. And as a result of that, he thought he was deserving of more than what God had given him as one of the lead angels of heaven. And so he rebelled against God as a result of his pride. If we are proud and there's something we feel like we deserve and we do not get it, then what happens? We get offended. Offended. Let me ask you, did you get offended this week? I get offended almost every day. You know, and sometimes, many times a day. I get offended. And I get offended by all kinds of different things, okay? And so I know that when I get offended that there is pride in my heart that I need to deal with in order to deal with that particular offense. Now, whenever I'm offended or whenever you're offended because you don't get something you deserve, you think you deserve or something that you would expect someone to do for you, that offense in the Bible is called bitterness. Bitterness is the condition in our soul whenever we're offended. And there's two things that you as a human being weren't meant to be carrying around. One of them is shame and guilt, and the other is bitterness. Just think about a world in which you're never experiencing shame and guilt and never experiencing bitterness. Wow, that's called heaven, the new heaven and the new earth. 
So bitterness in the Bible is the condition in your soul when you're offended. Now, the Greek word for bitterness means sharp. That's what it means, literally, and there's, there's a lot of insight in that. Bitterness causes our attitude, our behavior, and our emotions to be sharp. That's what happens when I'm offended. I start getting sharp, <laughs> and I'm no fun to be around when I'm offended, and I'm not dealing with my pride, and I'm not doing what I need to do in order to put away that particular sin. So bitterness, this offense in our soul, it causes us to have ill will toward others. In other words, I have an ill will toward you if you've offended me. Instead of wanting your best, instead of wanting you to be prosperous and be blessed by God and you know, have all your prayers answered, instead, I, if I have bitterness, I have ill will toward you. And the Bible, ill will has another name. You know what it's called? It's called hate. Hate is what ill will is. And God doesn't want us to have bitterness in our soul. God doesn't want us to have an ill will toward others. God doesn't want us to have hate toward others. You know, this morning I was listening to the newscast and a particular politician was talking about these two most recent mass shootings that have happened within a period of 24 hours in El Paso, Texas, and, and then the one in Dayton, Ohio. And she said something I totally agreed with. And that's very rare for me to totally agree with any politician, whether they're Republican, Democrat, or an independent or nothing, you know, whatever. And she said, we have in our nation a culture of hate. And I went, well, amen, that's the truth. We have in our nation a culture of hate, ill will, animosity at one another within our society. Now, what I know is this. There's no politician that has the answer to that heart problem. They can talk about it all they want. They can come up with all kinds of solutions to that particular problem. And I want you to know that problem has been around throughout world history from the very beginning. There's only one solution to problem of hate. And I want you to know that is Jesus Christ. That's it. I mean, if we want to change that culture of hate in our nation, it's not going to come by all these educational programs and things that we shouldn't have. You know, they're talking about right now all the things that are being done on the Internet to cultivate that. I want you to know they shut down everything. They shut down all freedom of speech in that way. There's still going to be a culture of hate because we're fallen creatures. We get offended. And when we offend, if we don't know how to deal with it, we're going to experience ill will and animosity, and we're going to experience hatred and it's going to be manifested in all kinds of different ways. The writer of Hebrews said this about the destructive power of bitterness. He said, pursue peace with all people. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Pursue peace with all people? Well, I want you to know I can't be bitter and do that. I can't be offended and do that. I can't hate people and pursue peace with them, can I? And holiness, holiness of life without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, be careful here, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Only the grace of God can change a human heart from being hateful, being offended, 
being bitter into one that's not. Lest any root, this is what we're being careful about, any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. Isn't that what happens when you get offended? You cause trouble. If you don't deal with it, you cause trouble. You, you hurt people. You become sharp. That's what happens to me if I let this happen in my own heart. And by this, it says, many become defiled. Well, I tell you, that's exactly what we just saw in Dayton, Ohio, in El Paso, Texas. Incredible. I, at the root of that problem is hatred and bitterness. And the result of that is what? Our whole nation's been defiled. By a root of bitterness. Hatred. Did you know that pride and bitterness are the greatest causes of addiction? Did you know that? In this same Bible verse that I just read you, I read through verse 15. In verse 16, after it warns about bitterness, it says, lest there be any fornicator. Fornicator is any form of sexual immorality, whatever it is. It's a word, pornea. And it's just any form of sexual immorality or even sexual perversion. Or profane person like Esau. Esau was the brother of Jacob who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. I can't think of a better description of addiction. Someone would sell their birthright for one morsel of food? Now that's an addict. And it's caused by pride and bitterness. You want to be free of addiction? Let me tell you something. Learn how to get free of pride and bitterness, and you can get free of any addiction in your life. Bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit in the church, according to Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. And so what did Jesus teach his disciples to do? Well, to avoid this snare of the devil that's got a hold of so many people, Jesus taught his disciples to keep their soul free of offense. Do you know how challenging that is? To keep your soul free of offense? Well, to keep their soul free of offense, they needed to humble themselves not have an overinflated view of themselves, but they needed to depress themselves before a holy and righteous God and say, you know what? I don't deserve your forgiveness. I don't deserve any blessing in my life. That's humility. I don't deserve a relationship with you. That's humility. But Lord, thank you for dying for me. And because you died for me and forgave me of my sins, then I know so-and-so's offended me, but, I, but I'm going to forgive them in the same way that I've been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. Humility and forgiveness are like two sides of the same coin. You find one, you'll find the other. Now, to forgive simply means to send away or release. It's a word that was used frequently when someone canceled a financial debt that they were owed. To forgive was to cancel that financial debt. Forgiving someone for sin means to send away or release to God the debt others personally owe you for their sin against you. It's also letting go of any ill will and hatred that you have for that person. Wow. Because of the fall of man, we as human beings are capable of doing the most horrendous and heinous things to other people. We just saw it in the last 48 hours with all these murders. It's incredible what we can do to one another. And you know what? Those murders, as bad as they are, and as awful as they are, and as massive as they are, they're just a small percentage of the murders that happened in the last week. 
in the United States of America. We're capable of killing one another, murdering one another. We're capable of all kinds of sexual perversion. We're capable of all kinds of torture. <laughs> We're capable of torturing our own family members, torturing them in awful ways. We're, we're capable of the worst forms of betrayal. We're capable as human beings. And so, because of the fall of man, we're capable of doing these horrendous things. And let me tell you something. If you've been a victim of something that's horrendous, it's difficult, if not impossible, to forgive unless you understand the forgiveness of God for you. You won't have the power to forgive if you've really suffered something horrendous unless you truly personally know how you betrayed God and how God has forgiven you and the price that he paid for you in Jesus Christ. Because when you receive his forgiveness of sin, the same spirit of God that forgives you comes into you and enables you to forgive other people. Now let me ask you these questions and then we're going to have a testimony. When you forgive somebody, it creates an incredible freedom in your soul to love people. People that have offended you. Jesus said, love your enemies. How do you do that? You forgive your enemies. If you don't forgive your enemies, you ain't going to love them. And love them just as they are. Let me ask you, how have other people sinned against you during the course of your life or even recently? How have they offended you? What debt do others owe you for their sin? Have you had an ill will or hatred towards someone who has sinned against you or someone you love? Are you still offended this morning? Are you carrying that offense right now in your soul? If you're carrying that offense right now in your soul, then you're bitter in your soul. And Jesus wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. So what do you have to do to find freedom in Christ? Well, you've got to forgive by the power of Christ. And my prayer for you and those who are listening right now on Facebook Live is that you will forgive through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Right now we're going to hear a testimony from one of our folks that has demonstrated forgiveness in an incredible way. And she's one of my heroes uh, because